The world is changing faster than ever. Keep up with the Enterprise Cloud from Workday. A single system to continuously plan for every what-if scenario. Workday, the finance, HR, and planning system for a changing world. Hey, it's Mark here. Today, I'm bringing you Working It, the new podcast from the Financial Times about doing work differently. It's just launched, and every Wednesday, host Isabel Burrick will be exploring the latest workplace trends, the big ideas about work, and how to change it. Also, those old habits that we need to leave behind. Isabel is the FT's work and careers editor. Every week, she'll cut through all the jargon and empowerment hot air that tends to surround conversations about work through interviews with experts, innovators, and FT colleagues. So listen up. Here's the first episode of Working It, and if you like it, subscribe. There's a link in the show notes. Oh my gosh, I never intended to be the founder of a company. Really, entrepreneurism was not something I intended to do. I had retired after 20 years of just working my butt off in tech. I had been a really early, you know, eBay employee. My mom was horrified. I had left this brilliant job at Hewlett Packard and she thought, you're going to waste your career at a garage sale? That'll never work. Obviously, (laughs) mom was wrong once. That's Lorna Borenstein, who started out in tech back in 2000. She's had senior roles at eBay and Yahoo and now runs a global wellness company called Grokker. Lorna's the first guest on Working It. It's a new weekly podcast from the Financial Times about doing work differently. I'm Isabel Berwick, the FT's work and careers editor. I'll be hosting the show and talking to people who are changing how the world works. I'll also be calling on my FT colleagues and friends, and we'll tell you what we really think about what works and what doesn't. And I'm giving advance notice here. We really, really like to pick apart meaningless thought leadership woo-woo. I wanted to talk to Lorna for this first episode, because like most of us, she got to a point where she was really burnt out and miserable. Unlike most of us, she decided to make a big change and find a way to improve her well-being by founding her own company that wants to sort out everyone's wellness using an app. Here's how it happened. I was exhausted and I have three children and by some miracle, the same husband. And I decided to retire and take time off and make up for lost years and take the kids out of school for one to three months at a time and go travel somewhere in the world, you know, a real high wire act. And what I found is when you don't have any help and you are working and taking care of children, you have no time to take care of yourself. And so I was in the worst shape of my life. So Lorna launched a wellness app. There are so many of these. Many of them are about getting to sleep or feeling de-stressed. You might spend 15 or 20 minutes listening to a calm, soothing voice telling you to slow down and put your feet on the floor. Grokker, for example, has loads of video content around yoga, meditation and fitness workouts. But it is just one app in this market that's now estimated to be worth $1.5 trillion dollars and that's growing at up to 10% a year. It's all been turbocharged by millions of people seeking inner peace and connection online during lockdown. But I'm also fascinated by the world of wellness and the way it's been co-opted by corporates who bulk buy subscriptions, often to meditation apps like Headspace and Calm, to help their employees feel better. And I'd like to bring in my colleague and friend Emma Jacobs here, who's a feature writer for 
the FT. Emma? Literally a week before the pandemic, with what I can only describe as prophetic accuracy, you wrote a very long piece about the boom in wellness apps. When companies spend a load of cash on buying apps for their staff, what are they actually doing? They are trying to fix a problem, which is burnout among employees. Or in the pandemic, I guess they were also trying to connect people and inculcate the sort of sense of community, which was difficult to do when they were all sitting at home. So I think that that is two aspects and also boost their productivity. <laughs> yeah, there's always, there's always some sort of <laughs> underlying. I mean, there's research, I think, from Deloitte that shows for every pound that companies spend on these apps or, or anything to do with mental well-being, they get five pounds back through lower staff sickness, turnover and so on. So it sounds like a good investment. What did you find was the big issue that was driving the boom even before the pandemic? Uh, I think that people wanted a fix and we've become so wedded to our phones that that seems the ideal place to get it, even though our phones seem to be part of the problem, or if not, in my case, most of the problem. But it's easy to be cynical about these things. But I think that there is a sort of well-meaning desire to help employees and kind of give them the latest tool, which is something that consumers are buying anyway. So it's not like it's just corporate driven, but it is a big trend among employers and particularly boost, as you say, boosted by the pandemic. So if we go back to Lorna at Grocker, let's hear how her staff and clients made use of her yoga, meditation and actually a lot of better sleep advice. During the pandemic, what's been the feedback from users? Has it changed the way they use it? I'm interested in how people help themselves prevent burnout or just feel better. I mean, there've been a few, but about three months, maybe two and a half months into the pandemic, I got a call from the CEO of one of our clients, a company called SurveyMonkey, who was letting me know that their European offices were now doing Grokker workouts together over Zoom. They had done this themselves, scheduled it over Zoom. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So we came out with a new group class feature to let people do them together. So a need for connection, Isabel, is what we've seen evolve over the course of the pandemic. And also the need for something that helps me build those breaks, those mini breaks into my day. And that's very consistent with a lot of the research that's come out, whether it's Gallup or Harvard, they're all telling you that employees are not taking enough break time during the day, which is leading to further burnout. So that sort of leads me on to the next thing. So you've also written a book called It's Personal about the business case for caring for staff. And I wanted to ask what you think are the most important things we can do to reduce distress and burnout for ourselves and perhaps for the teams we manage as well. What did you discover writing the book? The first thing I discovered was how many people wanted sort of the manual to help them figure out how can I help my people? People didn't know how to do it. They cared. They cared deeply, but just wanted the guide on, well, what do I do? You know, it's sort of arrogant to think that we know what our teams need. We don't. We need to listen. And the best way to listen is just to ask. Don't be defensive. Just take in the information. And once you've asked them, then you need to then link it to what the company stands for, what the company does. It's really having your insides match your outsides. So my company at Grokker, right, we're all about the enabling of physical, emotional, social well-being. And so we actually 
do those things together every day. <laughs> so we get together during the pandemic virtually, before the pandemic in person, and we do workouts, we do mindfulness, we do those things together. That's what the company does, that's what we do internally. We match our insides with our outsides, and it's what our people want. So I think Lorna's really interesting there because her approach to work goes well beyond kind of wellness by Apple, wellness in your own home, to sharing it with others and finding some kind of common purpose through doing yoga together. I mean, that's something we, well, say we, people used to do at the FT in the before times. Emma, do you think that is going to come back? Are we so used to doing yoga in our own homes? that our, I mean, I really don't fancy getting sweaty with my work colleagues, however gently. No, I've never felt. I think it. this is going to be massive after the pandemic. Well, I think it is. I was talking to a company the other day that said that they'd noticed that the biggest demand in their corporate drivers of business were people doing group activities within the company. And when all of this mental health support and community support is digital, is it possible to feel truly connected? What do you think personally and, and from a kind of macro point of view? I mean, when we did, we did a survey of FT readers at the beginning of the year about how they felt after then it was almost a year of the pandemic. And they said a lot of them felt burnt out, mainly because they had too much work to do. And none of these apps solved that problem. Lots of people said things like, even when they were sick, even when people had COVID, that they were encouraged to take as much time off as they needed. And then they'd take some time off and then they'd discover that double the workload was in their in-tray when they came off sick leave or and many people working through sickness because they couldn't keep up with the work so in no way will an app solve that problem and there's just no often companies don't have any slack in the system for workload i think what we're doing here is moving perilously close to talking about what is the purpose of work you know is our purpose to answer emails all night clearly not but we've all got a bit confused so let's hear a bit from Lorna about the dreaded word purpose. What your people really want now is a sense of purpose, belonging, and balance. And that's what helps them. So a sense of purpose, you know, my work matters. What I'm doing here matters. A month or two ago, we'll all recall, we all watched Richard Branson, right, go up into the stratosphere. Every single Virgin employee, whether they worked for a Virgin Airline or Virgin Galactic, they felt that they were actually bringing mankind into the future. Now, second thing is a sense of balance, right? People don't want to feel that their personal life is constantly in conflict with their work life. How can you help with that? Allow flexibility. Even for hourly frontline workers, a lot of my clients are frontline work employers, right? Target is a good example of that, or Delta Airlines, right? And they really do try to enable flexibility where you can. You can't provide remote work, obviously, if you're a flight attendant, you have to show up. But how can you help provide flexibility with scheduling, for example? And then there's belonging. We share values, we talk about them, we make it okay to discuss things. And that is really important to allow, you know, ERGs, employee resource groups, or different ways to let people congregate and feel that, you know, they belong, their voice matters, they're heard, they're seen. So Emma, in that clip, I sort of feel that the idea of purpose is morphing into something around belonging which I think has become incredibly important as we come out of the pandemic in a way that it never was before. Is that something you're seeing reflected in the people you talk to and the work you're doing? I was reading something about this yesterday. There was a moment where in the middle of the pandemic, when you're at home, this is for white collar workers, 
you're at home and you'd not been into the office for so long, you became kind of untethered. There was at one point in the pandemic where I had, I woke up and I thought, do I actually work at the FT? Because the idea of it had become so abstract. I knew I was getting a paycheck every month and I knew that I was talking to you and I had to do stuff. But the idea of my employer was kind of very abstract and and I guess that people want to feel connected to people again. And talking about connectivity to work, can we have too much sharing and connectivity? People are giving away a lot about their private lives now. I think the last 18 months have been kind of incredible, really. Every manager will know a lot more about their team than they ever did before. I mean, I'm sure lots of terrible managers know nothing about members of their team. But you have to know whether your team members have been homeschooling, their partner's shielding, or their partner's got a job that puts them in contact with COVID every day, or they've got elder responsibilities. And so suddenly you have all this information on people's personal lives that you've never had before. And do people want that going into the future? I don't know if they do. I think they'd like the idea of some sort of understanding and some sort of mutual two-way trust. But I think there'll be a recalibration. I'm just not sure how it will settle. No, I'm not either. But what's really interesting about Lorna, and I wanted to ask her about this, is that she's been in tech for over two decades. And the effect of all this living publicly and online, the cumulative effect of that is really profound. I am so grateful that smartphones and tablets were not around when my children were very little because I didn't have to grapple with, I mean, if my kids were little now, I would have just given them an iPad. Um, What we're finding now is that because of the effects of the hit that you get from smartphones, whether it's through texts or Facebook or whatever it is, right, that they are addictive. I used to answer my email at midnight. I used to put it in the bathroom and sneak off into the bathroom to answer my email at midnight. Okay, I'm admitting it. I was a total email junkie. But I wish I'd known that and never let the phone come upstairs in the evening to just separate. That's incredibly good advice. So phones and pets downstairs, I think, (laughs) is the the life rule for us all. Unless you're my little dog, Coco, then you're allowed up in my room. Not not Coco. (laughs) It was great to hear from Lorna there about her perspective, her long perspective on the internet. And lots of companies are now sharing staff with wellness apps. But, you know, ultimately, do they help or are they going to help structural change? I mean, do apps connect us? I don't know. I mean, it seems a bit mad that in some ways that we're saying apps are bringing people together because apps basically take me away from members of my family because I'm in, I'm looking at Twitter. So the idea that you are doing these things on an app seems really the opposite of bringing people together. And there is some research that, you know, although when these things are popular, you get all kinds of trainers that might go and do a meditation session and you have no certainty on the quality of what they're delivering. So in some ways, the apps are good because they're a kind of benchmark of quality. But on the other hand, they're really bad because you might decide to do a class or a wellness meditation at home where you could actually be doing that in your community centre or in the kind of room at work or anything that actually brings people together. And there is some benefit to bringing people together. So it's better than 
some alternatives, but worse than other alternatives, I'd say. And I think all roads are leading to you and me having to bring our yoga mats to work <laughs> Never. in the future. That is the answer <laughs> for the future of work. So many companies seem to think that sharing staff with wellness apps is a great way to keep us sane and working, but I think we're a bit more sceptical. I mean, every bit helps, but structural change is the key to avoiding burnout, and everybody actually knows that. So apps really do have a part to play, I think, but managers cutting stressed staff some slack, that's also really important. Humanity matters. With thanks to Emma Jacobs and Lorna Borenstein for appearing in this episode. If you want to read Emma's slightly prophetic article about meditation apps, just search that phrase in ft.com and you'll find it. And we'll put all of this in the show notes, along with the research we cite about the big returns to be had for spending on mental health and a link to Lorna's book. Do get in touch with us by email at working at ft.com or I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Isabel Berwick. This was a novel production for the Financial Times, with thanks to our producer, Anna Sinfield, executive producer, Joe Wheeler, with research from Pippa Smith. We have editorial direction from the FT's own Renee Kaplan. This has been Working It from the Financial Times. I'm Isabel Berwick. Thank you for listening. Today... The world is changing faster than ever. Prepare for what's next with Workday. Agile technology built to extend your applications to meet your needs. Workday, the finance, HR, and planning system for a changing world.